had an enjoyable weekend thus far, and I pray that you continue to do so uh, in the day to come. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn me to 1 Peter chapter 1, but also, would you grab your bulletin, and we're going to begin uh, our time together just during the teaching of God's Word portion of our worship gathering, just praying for Iran. Um, We, if you're a guest, we are just praying for Uh, different countries every single week, and we're just praying for blessings in those countries, that the gospel would be a blessing into those countries, and we're praying for brothers and sisters in Christ that live in those countries. We're just praying for courage, boldness, safety, support, uh, unity, all those type things, and so we're praying for Iran. So if you would, just join me in prayer, and as you do so, pray along with me. Feel free to do that. Also read the prayer points, um, some of those things, and so we'll just spend some time praying for Iran together, okay? Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you uh, for the privilege to gather in safety and worship you. We thank you for that honor and that privilege. We are grateful for you. And so, Father, it's with that in mind that we pray for our brothers and sisters in Iran. We pray recognizing that uh, they live in a place that is hostile to the gospel. They live in a place where they are persecuted for their faith, not only from um, the government, not only from their community, but even from their immediate family. And so we pray that as they face um, that danger, that they would not turn and apostatize, meaning they wouldn't turn away from you, but they would stay in the faith, that you would continue to persevere, help them persevere in, um, through your power and through your strength. And that we pray as, uh, for them, for that courage, that safety, and that boldness. Father, we pray for the government and we pray for the country. We pray that the gospel will be a blessing to the country. Father, we don't pray against the country by any means, but we pray that you would pour out your blessings via the gospel into that country. We pray that there would uh, be more freedom. We pray that there would be more openness and for a place for the gospel to flourish. And so, Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters, many of whom we do not know and will not see on this side of eternity, but we pray that even now that they would feel your spirit in a special way because they are being prayed for on the other side of the globe. And so, Father, we love our brothers and sisters in Christ who we've never met, and we pray for them. We focus our time together to pray for them. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me encourage you to continue to hang on to these. We're going to give you this. We've been doing this all summer, and we're going to continue to do it in the weeks to come. Um, want to make this a habit of ours, not just in our gathering, but throughout the week. And so we encourage you, put this in your Bible put it in your car, put it on a refrigerator, put it in your bathroom, just to be a reminder to continue to pray. We want to be a people that pray, not just for ourselves, for one another, but for our, the church around the world, right? And so we want to be a people that emphasizes that prayer, and so please continue to do that. First Peter chapter 1, so grateful that you have chosen to take Labor Day and this time to come and worship with us. We're continuing in our series in First Peter. And let me encourage you, there's also, an, amidst the million other things in your uh, bulletin, there is a sermon handout, and I want to read our passage together. If you do not have a Bible, feel free to grab one of the Bibles in the seat back in front of you. It looks like this one right here, and we're on page 1014. But also in the handout, it is printed in two forms on the back, both in the same version of language, but one in paragraph form and one in outline form. The outline form just helps you follow the argument and lets you see a visual of the argument that is being made here by Peter. So um, uh, let's go ahead and read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 to 25 together. It reads this, Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, 
for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. If you're filling in the blanks this afternoon, the main point of the sermon is simply this, love one another. Such a simple message, but it's a straightforward message. And if you look on the back side of the out, where you see the outline form of the text, you'll see that the most left aligned passage, a part of the passage is simply the phrase, love one another. I'm not overly creative. I'm a really simple preacher. And I want you to see where I'm getting this information from. When I say the main point of the sermon is love one another, that's because that's the main point of the text. And we can see that it's the most left aligned, which simply means it's the priority. It's the priority. And how do we know that it is the priority? Because it is the verb and the command of this sentence. It's real simple. And we look at it and we study. We talked about this last week. That there were three sermons from 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13 through verse 25. Three sermons that covered four imperatives of the text. Meaning four imperatives of all of 1 Peter chapter 1. And these imperatives were what Peter was trying to get communicated to us. Pastor Andy handled the first two imperative about a month ago with this idea of set your hope fully on the gospel, set your hope fully on Christ. So we are to have hopeful thinking. The second was to be holy. So we talked about holy living. So the first imperative, hopeful thinking, holy living. And then last week we talked about the third imperative, which was to fear God. Conduct yourselves with fear of God. To conduct ourselves in a way, manner, in a manner worthy of the cost. And Peter argues that because of the cost, because of Christ's precious blood for us, that he sacrificed for us, let us live in such a way that gives honor to that cost. That doesn't just treat that cost like it's no big deal, but it gives honor to it. And so we conduct ourselves with fear. You could summarize that command by what we simply say all the time, to love God. To conduct ourselves with fear of the Father in a respectful manner of what He has done for us is simply a response of worship. It simply is what we see Jesus in other places in the New Testament simply describe as loving God. Now, I want to point that out to you because I want us to see that Peter, as complex and wonderful as 1 Peter is, is also very simple. I want us to notice that last week's imperative could be summarized as love God, and this week's imperative is simply love one another. Sound familiar? Have we heard this before? The first and second great commandment, that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The church over centuries have simply said it this way, love God, love people. This is the command of these passages from last week and this week. Love God was last week, this week is love one another. It is simply the command of the text. Therefore, it is going to be the main point of the sermon. I describe all that to you, one, to know the content, but also I'm, I'm hoping my preaching is done in such a way that you see how I come to the conclusions I come to so that in your own personal study, you can help figure out what, what is this text really trying to say? 
will find the main point, find the main thing that's being communicated, which is here, is love one another, then we recognize that everything else around it is simply lifting up and helping us understand what does it mean to love one another. And so with that being said, truth number one, we see living and abiding word. How or what does it mean to love one another? Or how do we love one another? We see that we have a living and abiding word. Now once again, look at the outline form of the text. You see three things um, that are kind of left aligned, if you will, the most. Having purified your souls, loving one another from a pure heart, And then through the living and abiding word of God. These are the arguments that he gives to this. So we're going to start with the end of the argument. He says that it's through the living and abiding word of God that we were what? That we were brought to life, that we were born. And therefore, it is through the living and abiding word that we are able to love one another. Now, what is the living and abiding word? This is the question. He goes on. And talks about, it says, since you have been born again, verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. And he describes what is the imperishable seed that comes through the living and abiding word of God. Then he gives this illustration. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So in contrast to the created creation that ultimately in its broken form will not last forever. However, in contrast to that, he's saying God's word lasts forever. The word of the Lord. Now, we're reading this and we should be asking the question, well, what is the word of the Lord? He's saying the word of the Lord remains forever and the word of the Lord is that which we were born again with imperishable seed. So what is that? And he answers our question for us at the end of verse 25. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. If we want to come to the conclusion and we want to live a life of loving one another, that doesn't just happen by accident. It's a chain of events that takes place that allows us to love one another the way that's being described here and the way that's being described in the New Testament. And the first is, it starts with a living and abiding word that is preached to us. There came a moment in my life and a moment in your life, and maybe today is the first moment, but there came a moment in our lives where you and I heard the good news of the gospel preached to us. It may have been in a setting like this where a pastor got up and preached God's word faithfully. It may have been, for for many of us who grew up in church, it may have been in a VBS or a Sunday school. It may have been, hopefully, It came from your parents first who preached the word to you. I hope that my kids will be able to say the first place I ever heard the gospel was from my parents, right? And so it doesn't matter the setting, but you heard someone tell you that because of sin, we have been separated from a holy God. And that relationship has been broken and there's nothing that you and I can do to mend that relationship. But praise be to God that when when we were hopeless and helpless and couldn't do anything for ourselves, And Christ's love for us, that he loved us so much that God the Father sent his son to die for us. That if we believe in him, we shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There's a moment where the hearers that are reading 1 Peter, and there's a moment for you where you heard the gospel preached for the first time. You heard a gospel of love that is sacrificial. You heard a gospel 
that is not man-centered. You heard a message from God's word. Notice that it's from God himself revealing himself to us and letting us know about his love and care for us. Letting us know about his holiness and our judgment apart from him. You heard that and you responded. And you responded in a way when the Holy Spirit breathed life into you and caused you to be born again, not of perishable, but of imperishable. Once you begin to notice, and if you look at the truths, all of them begin with living. That's the part that has filled in. Because I want us to see this idea. When we come to the conclusion and the command of the text that we are to love one another, this is a living thing. And it's because everything that leads up to it is living, ultimately, that Christ is alive, that He is living, that His Word is alive and active. We've heard these phrases before, if we've been around God's Word long enough, that Christ is alive. His Word is alive. The Word of God, when it preached, breathes life through the Holy Spirit into us, and we are born again. You see the domino effect that's taking place. And therefore... Because we have a living and abiding word within us, we are eventually able to recognize and to live out what it means to really love one another. So before we move on to truth number two, we've got to think about application for us. Understanding the point of the text is for us to love one another. And if we were to honest, I, I want to be honest with you that I'm not really always great at loving one another. At least not the way Scripture defines it. For example, Ephesians chapter 5. There's a passage and a command that husbands are to love their wives the way Christ loved the church. And, that's, and I read that and I go, I, I, Jonathan, cannot do that. I cannot love my wife the way Christ has loved me. Jonathan is not capable. However, when I have surrendered my life to Christ and I'm devouring and living in God's word and the Holy Spirit is living in and through me, then Christ in me and the Holy Spirit in me empowers me to love my wife the way Christ loved the church. See the difference? I'm making that distinction because when we talk about love one another, this isn't saying, hey, be nice. This isn't saying honk less on the street. This isn't saying get out of the way and make more room on the subway, although that's part of it. That's just nice, you right? We're talking about a love that goes beyond human ability. We're talking about a love that requires supernatural living within us in order to produce supernatural living love. And it begins with a living and abiding word. So applying this as Christians is God's word living and abiding in you. If, you've, if you're like me and you've been around church long enough, you, you probably heard a pastor like myself get up here and say, you need to be reading God's Word every single day. Right? You need to be reading God's Word every single day. And I grew up hearing that. And I'm sure I had a very faithful pastor. And sure, I'm sure my pastor explained better than I remember. However, I, it didn't click for me for a long time. Why? But for years, all the way through my teenage years, I just heard a pastor. This, this probably isn't what he said, but this is just at least what I heard. You need to read your Bible to be a good Christian. Now, he didn't say those exact words, but that's what I heard. And so I heard a pastor get up and say, you need to read God's word. You need to memorize God's word. And I was just like, oh my goodness, religious duty. I've got to do it. I'm a bad Christian. God doesn't love me if I don't get up and do this. And that was the mentality I had. I I want you to hear me not say that. What I do want you to hear me say, though, is you should read God's word. You should memorize God's word. You should devour God's word because you need it. Not out of duty, but out of delight. 
that it is there, you have an expectation, a beautiful privilege as Christians to love one another, a command to love one another. But that love is largely dependent upon you knowing God's word, allow it to devour, allow the Holy Spirit to transform your life through this living and abiding word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we aren't, or if we don't live in God's word, one, we personally are missing out. But then two, it's going to be really hard to fulfill the command to love one another. Because Peter bases the argument of loving one another on having a living and abiding word within us. Truth number two. The living and abiding word produced a living and purified heart. The living and abiding word, according to how Peter is giving the argument, produced an imperishable living and purified heart. Verse 22, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from what? A pure heart. Guys, you and I cannot love the way Christ loved if we do not have a pure heart. That's simple. Right? But you and I cannot produce a pure heart within us. Do you see the flow of the argument? How Peter, now Peter didn't put it in this order. I'm putting it in a different order just because my analytical brain thinks maybe a little different than Peter. But it's all the same because, in, because how you can write then it's a little different than English. So you can rearrange things in different order. But the argument is still the same. That because we have a living and abiding word, the gospel was preached to us, which the Holy Spirit used his word to cause us to be born again, purify our heart. Therefore, having purified our hearts and our souls by our obedience to the truth, which we're going to come back to that. It has allowed us to have a sincere brotherly love. Therefore, love one another earnestly from that pure heart. That's what he's saying. It's the argument that's being made. That because we have a pure heart, we have a purified heart, we also have a living heart. We think about other great passages of Scripture, and I come to Ephesians 2 all the time, but it's, it's, it's just so succinct and it makes it so clear that you and I were dead. But when the gospel was preached to us and we put our faith in Jesus, we went from being under condemnation, under judgment, and dead to alive in grace and mercy and alive. The point is, in the illustration here, is you went from death to life. You didn't go from dirty to clean. You went from death to life. Massive difference. But the point is, is you're alive. You're living. You're breathing. You have a pure heart that is alive. And when that pure heart is alive, it is out of that abundant, pure heart that we are empowered and able and have the capability of loving one another earnestly from a sincere, brotherly love. Guys, this is supernatural. I I want us to get a few things from tonight as we think about loving one another. Just really, I want you to hear this over and over. One, that you cannot produce this on your own. Like, this is a love that isn't just be nicer. This isn't a love that just says try harder. This is a love that is beyond your and my ability. But then what then does produce it? And this is the truth that we're walking through. I want us to get that it is through God's word, as it has brought life to us through the preaching of God's word, the truth of God's word, the Holy Spirit, and through Christ, as it has given us salvation and brought life and purified our heart, it is through that means in which we are then able and capable 
of loving one another, but is also an expectation at that point. It's an expectation. So you could say that Christ, in a sense, has saved you in order that you are now able to fulfill the second great commandment to what? Love people. Now, not to exclude the first great commandment. We already covered that last week, so that's not to be excluded either. But life has come in order to simply put to love God and love people. But not by our definition of love, but by Christ's definition of love, by God's definition of love, which is simply this. There's no greater love than a friend would lay down his life for another. I mean, that means like lay down my opinions, my money, my resources, my life. That's a love that I, I don't know that anybody naturally would receive except for my wife and kids. Right? I, I might be able to do that naturally in my own strength for my wife and kids. I, I think and if under right circumstances and I was more prepared and knowing, I, I would do that for my country. We see that. and I, I honor that and commend that. I would do that if it was my job in certain ways. And I think of law enforcement and others that do that and first responders that do that. And I'm grateful for that. And there's training, but there's a training, a mentality that, that naturally I'm just not there. But the gospel says I should be there now because of Christ in such a way that I would love people to show God glory and to love them in such a way that I'd be willing to lay down my life. That's not natural, but it's supernatural. So praise be to God that through the gospel, we now have a supernatural love within us. And so because we have a living and abiding word and a living and purified heart. Now, I want to answer a question. If you read verse 22, it says this, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Now, if we read this just by itself, um, it, we might be mistaken on what it says. Now, bear with me. I'm going to make a statement, and I'm going to justify this statement. At first, this is going to sound heretical, but listen to me. The Bible does not always mean what it says. Okay? If we just take words for what they are, the Bible does not always mean what it says. For example, we're going to come to in a couple of weeks... 1 Peter chapter 3, where it says that you are saved via baptism, right? We just talked about a few weeks ago how we're not saved via baptism, right? So what do we mean by that? And we gave the example that it's in context that we understand that he's using baptism as an illustration to spiritual baptism, and we are in fact saved because we're spiritually cleansed. So we got to understand the metaphor, we've got to understand the allegory here. So when we come to having purified your souls... By your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, he goes on to eventually say that since you have been born again, right? So what does it mean? We've got to answer the question because we don't believe that we are saved via obedience to our works, that we are saved via works. And, we don't, and I don't think that's what Peter is saying at all here. So when he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, we're not twisting Scripture by saying we don't think that's what it means, but we're honestly asking what does he mean, and I'm honestly coming to the conclusion he's not referring to workspace. So how, how do we get this? Because in verse 23, since you have been born again, the fact that we, our souls have been purified is because since you have been born again. Well, guess what? This text answers the question, how and what does it mean to be born again? So bear with me, not going to be on the screen.
But go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We've studied this before, but I'm going to read it because it answers the question, how are we born again and how are our souls purified and what does it mean to be obedient to that truth? What is the truth and what does it mean to be born again? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, not our works, but according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So what does it mean to be born again? It means that because of his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. The condition to being born again is His great mercy. So how have we purified our souls by being obedient to the truth? Well, what is the truth? The truth is that we are called to simply put our faith in the King who has died for us. But if you confess with your mouth that He is Lord, that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that Christ or that God raised Christ from the dead, you will be saved. So yes, in one sense... We are saved by our obedience to, to the truth. We are saved via that work. Well, simply, what is that work? Faith. And it's a work in the sense of we don't muster up the faith, but it's a faith that has been given to us. So I don't think anybody reading this, and I know I'm trying to be technical here for a second because I don't want us to be confused by what's being said, but if we read this, I don't think anybody reading this in context is going to argue that we save ourselves via our good works. But everybody would clearly see, Peter has already made it very clear that according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. He has caused us is passive, which simply means uh, a passive means you're the recipient of the action. You're not the one making the action. So, for example, I hit the ball active. I'm the one doing the action. The ball hit me passive. I'm the recipient of the action, meaning I'm not the one doing it. I'm the one it was done to. Here, passive. He has caused us to be born again. We did not cause ourselves to be born again. He has meaning. There's nothing we have done. But in his mercy, he's done this. So when we come to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, and I'm going to move on from here, and if you have questions, ask me later. But having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, that is simply the reality of faith in Christ. That is the truth, and that's what it means to be born again. So... Loving one another begins from a living and abiding word that's been preached to us and abides in us. That creates in us born again, living and purified heart, which leads to a living and sincere love. Truth number three, living and sincere love. Guys, when we talk about loving one another, I want us to see characteristics. I'm intentional here that this love is alive and it's sincere. Yes, there are moments where loving others is more difficult. 
Yes, when Jonathan and my flesh and my emotions sometimes get in the way, it's difficult to love other people. Absolutely. Because I'm selfish at the core. We all are. But when I have been transformed by the gospel and the preaching of God's word and the living and abiding word in me that purifies my heart and that allows a love within me to be alive and sincere. I'm not asking you to go out these doors and apply this text by just fake actions towards others. Now, I hope that you would at least be nice, if nothing else. However, what we're talking about here is a living and sincere love. I want you to be honest, and this is a challenge to myself, where I examine my heart and my love towards others. And if there's not a love towards that person, then that means that there's a work that the Word of God needs to do in my heart. And so when I struggle to love someone else for whatever reason, naturally the tendency is to blame and go, well, if they would make this difference, I would love them. But the Gospel doesn't give any conditions to that. The Gospel simply says, if there's a lack of a sincere love, then that means there's a lack of a living and abiding word in our lives. There's a lack of living out of that purified heart. So therefore, the issue is not with them, the issue is with me. This is tough, I get this, we're going to struggle with this. But listen to me, this is not a suggestion. But because the gospel has done a work in our life, we are not obedient to this command in order to earn salvation, but because it has been given to us, and because we have a sincere heart, therefore a purified heart, we pursue a sincere love, and we will not settle to fall short of this commandment of loving one another. To have a living and sincere love. There's a uh, story in church history, and I say it's a story, I believe it to be true. Um, but there's a story of the Apostle John. It's not in Scripture, so it's a story. I'm not saying we don't know for sure that it's true, but when you take writings from early church fathers and talk about the Apostle John's ministry, there's a, I'm, I'm afraid to call it a myth because that assumes it's not true, but there's a, a, a wise tale, if you will, of John the Baptist, or excuse me, not John the Baptist, the Apostle John, that he would, late in his life, he would go and preach places. Now let me tell you a little bit about the Apostle John, if you don't know. He was the youngest of the disciples of Jesus. He's the one who wrote the Gospel of John. He's the one who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he is, the, he is the only disciple who did not leave Jesus' side of the crucifixion and was the only disciple that was not martyred to death. So he lived probably into the uh, uh, late 1st century, right? And so he imagine you're living towards the late 1st century and all of the other disciples, the apostles who have been with Jesus, have been martyred and they're no longer living except for John. And you find out he's coming to preach at your church, right? This is the guy who wrote the Gospel of John. This is the guy who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And like, he, like he's a big deal, right? This is back before, you know, writing books made you famous. This was the original book author famous, right? You know, I, I don't know. Just, I'm just trying to imagine the situation. You find out that the Apostle John is coming to preach. Well, I build that up to say this. The story goes that late in the, apostle, the Apostle's life, he would preach very, very short sermons. And y'all are all thinking, see, he learned something over time. Why don't you learn it too? Not the point, not the point. 
But this, this would be his message. The story goes like this, that he would come in and he would get up and he would preach and he would simply preach a short message and here's what's his point. Love one another. When you begin to think about his letters, it, it, this story, actually it brings validity to the story. He, he would simply say this, that if we could figure out how to love God and because of our love for God, love one another the way Christ loved us, everything else will take care of itself. If we really love one another the way Christ is calling us to love, if we really love one another the way Christ has loved us, and if we don't settle for anything short of that love, and that is our aim and how we treat one another, then we don't need anything else. The rest will take care of itself. Now, it's a pretty powerful point, and if you begin to think about it, it makes a lot of sense. If you read the Gospel of John, fun fact, Gospel of John, it's my favorite probably uh, book of the Bible. If you read the Gospel of John, he gives us one command in the entire Gospel. Think about that. We just studied three in the first chapter of 1 Peter. But in 21 chapters, the Apostle John tells us to do one thing. That's it. You want to know what it is? Love one another. The only ethical command in the entire Gospel of John. He gives this beautiful gospel of what Christ has done for us. And then he challenges us, go love one another likewise. I end this sermon with that challenge. I end the sermon if, by simply going, if we can learn to love one another, not by what we think love is, not by what the world thinks love is, but as Christ loves, defines it here in Scripture, of this life-changing supernatural love that is willing to love and forgive no matter what. That is willing to care. That is willing to sacrifice. That is willing to lay down our life for one another. Then all else will work itself out. I promise you this. I long and I believe New Hope is the best example of this that I've ever had. But we are not perfect. But I long to live in a church that loves like that. Now, I promise you, you all love really well. But we don't love perfect, and we never will. But we will strive to not try harder, but to rest in the gospel more. And then as we rest in the goodness of God's grace and we continue to receive his love, those who have been loved much and forgiven much can love and forgive others. And the more we recognize how much I, Jonathan, have been forgiven, the more I'm able to love one another. For church family, the challenge is simply this. Through the living and abiding word that creates a purified, born again heart, shall we love one another. Let's pray. Jesus, that is our desire. That is our call of surrender, if you will, that we recognize that you are calling us to love one another. That is the command of the text. The main point of the text, main point of the sermon, love one another with a sincere, brotherly love. As we just take a moment and we reflect on your love for us, how you gave your life for us, that you loved us so much that you, Philippians 2, emptied yourself of your glory, not of your deity, but of your glory. You stepped out of perfection to took on flesh walk amongst the creation that rebelled against you. 
that didn't honor you. You humbled yourself out of love for us to the point of even death on the cross by our hands. Our sin put you there. You loved us so much that when we didn't deserve it, didn't earn it, you died for us. So likewise, when others don't deserve it and when others haven't earned it, likewise, shall we lay down our lives and die for one another. Let us love one another. And now we recognize that we cannot do that. Jonathan cannot do that. But Christ in me can. So therefore, I must decrease. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives within me. And as I decrease and you increase in my life, let there be a living and sincere love towards all. Towards our brothers and sisters, Christ, towards my neighbors, towards my enemies, towards those who persecute. No matter, let that be the case. I pray two things. One, I pray for the heart in here that does not know you. That today, through the living and abiding word, the gospel, your word, being preached, Holy Spirit, would you cause those to be born again. They put their faith and trust in you. Would they confess their sin? Would they repent of their sin and turn away from this world and turn to you for salvation, for life eternal? They surrender to you as Lord and Savior. Father, second and last, I pray for those in here that call themselves Christians. Would they today, fresh and anew, Allow your word to abide within them. Their heart to continue to be purified of all evil thoughts and emotions. Your heart, and would they love one another sincerely? Would you encourage them? Would you empower them to forgive and love those that are hard to forgive and love? Would you allow that supernaturally to fill them up in this moment. help us love that co-worker, that boss, that family member, that neighbor, person who cuts us off, whatever it may be. Help us love in small things and in big things. Love one another. That is our offering unto you. That is our response to your love towards us. For that, we thank you. Join me, church family, and just standing spend some time just worshiping the King together. And would you breathe in His love and allow Him to do a work continuously in your heart.